So I want to read the text and then pray for you, Matt. Uh, If you have a Bible or an app, turn with me to Mark chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 11 to to 1 to 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus, has at, what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, that as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is God's word. Let me pray. Father God, I pray as we um, open your word, uh, we pray that you would empower uh, your son, Matt, to proclaim the word to us. Father, I pray that he would um, just use the words that you've given him, that he would proclaim your truth, and that he would just uh, trust in the fact that you are a good God that communicates us with us, that you love us, and that you want to speak to us through your word today. So empower your servant, Matt, today as he speaks to us. May the words of his mouth be true, and may they uh, sink into our hearts. May we leave change people. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks, uh, Johnny. Um, those of you guys that don't know me, my name is Matt. I am one of the elders here as well at the church, and uh, it is a privilege to be able to preach. Um, that tre- It gives Trev a break, and it gives me an opportunity to learn how to preach better. So uh, it's, it's awesome um, to be able to, to have this opportunity. Um, I want us to to stop and, and think for a minute uh, and, and picture a time in your life when uh, you were anticipating something uh, happening, whether it was perhaps you were starting a new job or you were starting school for the first time and, or maybe it was, you know, we have a lot of young families, so maybe it was you and your wife are having your first child and you're anticipating what that might look like, how is parenthood going to shape our lives now, and, and you're anticipating this, and, and so the, in these events, you're anticipating, you know, and you have a picture in your mind, this is what it's going to look like, and, and you're ready for it, and you're thinking, so there's emotions, and there's feelings, and there's all this stuff going on, but it doesn't always turn out the way you think it's going to, or the way you're anticipating. I know I remember when uh, Christina and I were pregnant with our first child, Audrey. And we were living in Colorado at the time when we, were, when we first got pregnant. And then we, when she was about eighth month pregnant, we left that job, moved to a new city, and started a new job. And so most people try to only do one thing at a time. We decided, well, let's just do them all three at once because we really want to be stressed out. So so that's what we, we did, and believe me, we were stressed out. Um, so, but then, so we had, we had Audrey, and even before we had Audrey, we were anticipating, we were excited 
about having a, a child. We were going to be parents. And it was excited, you know, exciting time for us. But at the same time, we were also like, well, now we're moving to a new city. We don't know anyone there. We're starting a new job. Uh, we're trying to get in the rhythm of that work. And we're trying to figure out what it's going to be like to have a new child in this situation. So we had a lot of emotions and, and, and feelings and things that were going through our minds. But, but things weren't necessarily going as we thought they were going to go. When we had Audrey, about two months after we had her, we lost our job. And we were still in a new city. We didn't really know where we were. You know, we didn't know people. We didn't have a church that we were really attached to. So we didn't have a family of people that we could be connected to. And, and so we were kind of like, wow, this is not what we had anticipated at all. We thought it was going to be way better than this and that having our first child was going to be an exciting time. And it was still exciting, but it, was, it became a very stressful time in our life. And so this morning we're going to be looking at this story in Mark chapter 11. And it is a story that's filled with anticipation. The disciples and the pilgrims that were there because it's the Passover time, they were anticipating a certain thing. And so they had their emotions and their feelings that were, were coming. But Jesus was also anticipating something. And what he was anticipating and what he was planning was totally different than what the people were anticipating. And so we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at how did Jesus come? When he entered Jerusalem, how did he come and what does that mean for us? Second, we're going to look at what did Jesus come to save us from? And then lastly, we're going to look at what did Jesus come to save us for? So first we're going to start with how, how did Jesus come as, as, as we enter into this picture and into this story? We see that first of all, Jesus had been in ministry for quite some time now, and, and up to this point, he had been avoiding direct conflict with the religious leaders. If he healed someone, he would tell them, don't tell anyone, just go home, or go to the priest and, and, and give your sacrifices that are needed for the, your cleansing and your purification. So, so he wasn't, he knew at this point in his life that it wasn't time to reveal who he was and what he was coming to do. But in this story that we're now entering, Jesus changes how he does things and now he's going to reveal himself as who he really is and what he's really going to be doing. And so... We also need to understand that this isn't the first time that Jesus has been to Jerusalem. This is a different time and this is a new time of him coming to Jerusalem. But he's been many times. He, as a Jew, he would have come to Jerusalem and spent time there uh, celebrating the different feasts and celebrations that the Jewish people would celebrate. Uh, but this time as he enters the city, we see that, that he's going to enter it in a different way. So first of all, we see here, it's, it says that now as they drew near to Jerusalem, 
to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sit, sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, what, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went and found the colt and a colt tied the door outside in the street and they turned and they untied it. And someone and some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they said they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. So we see that Jesus sent he said, Go, disciples, go and, and you're gonna find this colt in the city, and you're gonna find it outside tied up, and you need to go untie it. And if someone asks you what are you doing? Tell them the Lord has need of it and they'll let you go. So Jesus is, you know, why, it, it seems kind of strange, you know, like what, what is Jesus doing? Why is he telling people? How did he even know that the colt was going to be there and that someone was going to ask, why are you untying the colt? And that if you tell them that the Lord has need of it, well, they're just going to let you go. It's kind of a st strange picture in the story, but Jesus is showing the disciples his divine nature. He is showing them that he has control and foreknowledge of what events are going to be like. And so he's not, he's saying like, this is who I am. As you go, because the disciples were obedient, they went, it says they went and they uh, went and they got the colt and they did exactly what Jesus said. And whether or not they totally understood what Jesus had just so shown them, it doesn't really show us in the story. But this is what Jesus was showing. He's saying, I am the Lord. And I am divine. And I have control over events. And then we see that Jesus chooses a cult. That, and it and it's specifically says a cult that no one has set on. And in Jewish, in the in the Jewish tradition in the Old Testament, animals that had never been used or never been set on were were set aside for specific uh, ceremonial events. So the pulling of the the Ark of the Covenant, or for kings to ride into the city. And so here Jesus is taking a colt that has never been set on, and he is riding into Jerusalem on this cult. And he is telling the people that I am entering as a king and I am victorious and I will set you free from your oppression. But how would all of the, the pilgrims and the, and the disciples, how would they have viewed this? when they see Jesus riding in on a colt. They were, they were excited. It says that they're, they're cheering and they're excited that Jesus is coming, but, but they're looking for something different. Jesus is coming as a king, yes, but they're looking at, we are under political oppression from the Romans and, and we want freedom from this. But Jesus is coming as a king 
But he's a humble king and he's a peaceful king. And he is coming to save them and to institute a kingdom, but it is not a political kingdom, it is a spiritual kingdom. So he is not coming into... the Kings would ride into cities after they had been on a military conquest and they would ride in and they would have all the the army there and they would have their prisoners of war and all the spoils of war going before them as they rode into the city saying, look at what I have done and and I am the king and, and I am glorious. And Jesus comes in seated on a colt that has never been ridden as a humble servant who is coming to institute the kingdom of God. And to show the people that yes, I'm, I'm concerned for your circumstances. And I understand that you are under oppression from the Rome, Roman Empire. But more than that, I am concerned for your souls. And the goal that Jesus always had in mind was the goal of the cross. He knew that that's where he was going. And so we need to understand that we are, we are just like the crowds. The crowds were shouting, shouting Hosanna, which means save us. And, and so, but, but again, what were the crowds interested in? What were they concerned with? They were concerned with what was right in front of their face. This is my situation. This is my circumstance. I am seeing that Rome is oppressing me and we need freedom so that we can worship the Lord the way we want to. And we can be in control of our people and not have this oppression. And and Jesus is coming and saying... No, that, that's not what I'm instituting here. And so we, we do this same exact thing. We look at what is right in front of us and we see our situations. And whether that's, you know, we're having problems at home with our spouse or with our children or perhaps we don't like our job. And we're arguing with our boss and, and he's, we feel like, you know, our boss is just a jerk and he hates us and, and why, why do I have to be in this situation? And so we see our circumstances and we yell out, Hosanna, save us. But what we're looking for Jesus to come as a warrior king to defeat our enemies. But Jesus is saying, no, I want you to be concerned for the kingdom of God. Because I have come to, to save you from your sins and not, not from just your circumstances. And Jesus, so Jesus is trying to help us to understand that I am instituting a spiritual kingdom and this is not your home. And so when we get caught up with what is right in front of us and that this world is a messed up place, and it is. But do we not remember that this is not where our citizenship lies? Our citizenship lies in heaven. Jesus instituted 
a spiritual kingdom when He came into Jerusalem that day. And He was telling the people that you can now be a part of My kingdom and have eternal life with Me in heaven. And, and so we need to be willing to allow Jesus to come as King who rules and reigns over all things and whose goal was the cross, not simply to change our circumstances. We do not need to be like the crowds who held Him as one who comes in the name of the Lord, but to truly hail Him as Lord. Jesus came as a humble king, always having the cross in mind. So what, what did He come to save us from then? If that's what He had in mind, if Jesus came as a king who would save His people, and they were anticipating again a king that was coming and He was part of, of David's family. So David was this great king and he was really the greatest king that Israel had ever seen. And the kingdom was a vast kingdom. And so they're seeing Jesus come in and they're, they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're excited. And they want to see this kingdom restored. But they're looking to, to the kingdom that David had not to the kingdom that, that Jesus was instituting. Because again, Jesus is saying, I'm, I will restore this, this kingdom. But my kingdom is coming because it is God's kingdom and I am going to defeat Satan, sin, and death. And so that's why we see Jesus coming as a humble, peaceful king to institute a new kingdom and that it would be marked by his sacrificial death, not by defeating the, the political power of the day. So everything for, at this point in Jesus' ministry had been, been pointing to the cross and that he had come to die. We see that the pilgrims and the disciples did understand that they needed to be saved from something, but they didn't understand truly what, that, what they needed to be saved from. They, they were looking at it, and they understood that there was Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled that day. But again, in their mind, it was Jesus was coming, and He was going to institute a new kingdom, and He was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. But, as they were doing this, they were not understanding that they were indeed seeing Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled, but it was pointing to the cross. And it was the formation of the spiritual kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. And that they didn't need to be saved from the Roman Empire. They needed to be saved from themselves. And so Jesus is coming and He is saying, I am the King. And I am even the King that you are looking for. And that you are anticipating. 
But I have not come to save you merely from circumstances, but from yourself. You know, see, we see in, in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, Jesus tells the disciples that he, sa- he says these very words, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will c- condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So Jesus knew all along that this is what he was going to do. That he was going to die for our sins. And the crowds didn't understand this. They're, they're thinking, you know, why in the heck do I need to be saved for myself? As a Jew, they were like, you know, I'm, we are God's chosen people. Are we not following the law that you have given to us? And isn't that enough? And do we not see that we are the same way? Again, we look at our circumstances and our situations and we want things to be changed. Yet we do not see that the problem is that we need to be saved from ourselves. You know, I was talking with a a friend this week and we were talking about work situations and, and how do we know and how, you know, what does God want us to be doing and how do we get there. And I was telling him about my own story and I was out of work for five or six years and so I was at home and I was dealing with the kids and everything that was going on there and during that time I really had to look at and struggle through with you know where does my identity lie is it in what I am doing and in the work that I have or is it in Jesus and did I understand that I didn't need Jesus to come and give me a job But I needed to have Jesus come and renew my life. And to change me and to help me to be comfortable in the situation that I was in. Because God was sovereign over that. So all along we need to understand that Jesus has come to save us from our sin which rules over our lives. And, and I think that we ask a lot of times, why do we need to be saved? But I think we see in, in Romans that, Jesus, that Paul tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we see that we don't meet God's standard of holiness. And we deserve death. That tell, Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 6. And, and if we left it there, that would be sad. That, that would be like, well, okay, I'm, you know, I can never fix this. It's not going to work. But the great news is that God didn't leave it there. He continued on and He gave us Jesus because He knew that we couldn't pay the debt 
that we owed Him for our sins. And so He sent Jesus to die in our place. And here in this story, we see that Jesus is announcing the coming of His kingdom and that His primary purpose has been to be a servant king who would die for the sins of the world. So Jesus came to save the people that were there, the pilgrims and the disciples. But He also came to save us. And He came to save us from our sins and from ourselves. And as He entered Jerusalem, this is always what He was proclaiming. But if we understand that Jesus came as a humble king who, sa- who, who was coming to save His people and that He wasn't coming to save them simply from an earthly kingdom but He was ultimately saving them for a heavenly kingdom and Jesus had come to save us from our sins. So if, if we understand this, then, then what is Jesus coming to save us for? Because He saves us from our sins, but what does He save us for? What are we to do with that? From our story, we see that as Jesus enters, it says He enters the temple, the people are praising Him. And and then Jesus goes and He enters the the temple. And we have to understand, the the people were saying, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. But Jesus is coming and saying, I am the Lord. I am not just one that comes in the name of the Lord, but I am the Lord. And now He comes and He comes into the temple and it says He, he entered the temple and, uh, and when He had looked around as at, at everything, it was already late and He went, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So it's kind of like a... The, <laughs> Okay, like we have this grand entrance and all these people are cheering him and and then all of a sudden it's like he enters the temple and he looks around and, oh, well, it's late, I got a meeting, see you, peace out, you know, and he just walks away and you're just kind of like, what the heck, you know, like, come on, man, like, kind of leaves us hanging, you know, of what, what, what's really going on here. But, but we need to understand that Jesus comes to the temple because he's, the temple is the center of religious life for the Jewish people. And so he's coming and he is looking around at what is going on in the temple because he wants to see is it fulfilling the true purpose that God had intended the temple to be. And that was, that was to lead people to the true worship of God. And so as a nation, we need to see that Israel was always a nation that had been designed to be a missionary nation. God had chosen them to be His people, to display God to the nations. And, and so they were to be a light unto the world. And, and so as He... He surveys the temple and he looks at what's going on. He's looking to see, have you been faithful to the mission that I have given to you? 
And that, that, you know, so that was always what he was doing as he comes. He was looking to, this is my kingdom that is coming. And so I am, I'm moving closer and closer to the cross. And I'm initiating this kingdom here on earth. And so are you being faithful to the mission? Because I have called you, Israel, to be a witness to the world. And so then as he, so are they fulfilling their mission and then Jesus as he fulfills his mission, he's going to the cross. That mission saves us from our sins. And then it also saves us to a mission. Because Jesus didn't just save us so that our lives could be better. And to save us from our circumstances and what's going on. But he saves us to do something. In, in Mark chapter 16 and in Matthew 28 and in Luke 24, we see the Great Commission. And Jesus says, go and make disciples. And we talk about this every Sunday. Johnny spoke about it just today. That we're on a mission as disciples, as followers of Christ. If we, if we have said that you know, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe that I'm a sinner and that I needed a, a Savior and that Jesus, You are the Savior. That Jesus has saved my life, but now He has called me to a mission. And that mission is to be a light to the world. And just as Israel had the temple, which was to be the center of their religious life and to be a light guiding people to true worship of God we need to see now that we are living temples called to go to the world and point others to Jesus so just like God used Israel to show the world himself now he is using those who believe in him to show the world himself this is what Jesus saves us for, not for ourselves, but for Himself and for the spreading of the good news about Himself. So this morning we've looked at these three different things. We've seen that Jesus comes and that He is a humble King, not, not a warrior King. And that He's not necessarily saving us from our immediate circumstances and, and situations. But that He comes to save us from our sins. And we need to understand that this, so this is a spiritual kingdom that Jesus is, is instituting. And, and we become citizens of this spiritual kingdom. And so we need to be concerned with that which is eternal, not just what is in front of us. And so even if circumstances are rough right now and life seems like, you know, it's going and it's going fast, that we have an eternal home that is in heaven and is not here on earth.
And so we need to see, also see that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And so we don't need to be like the pilgrims and just say and, and believe that you know, we get blinded by the sin that, that is in our life and we need to be able to see God for who He truly is. Because the, the, the disciples and the pilgrims didn't truly understand what Jesus was proclaiming as He entered Jerusalem that day. And lastly, we, we see that Jesus saves us from our sins and He also saves us for His mission. And so once we accept that we are sinners in need of a Savior, we accept Jesus as that Savior. We are forgiven. And now we are missionaries to the world. Our mission becomes His mission. And that mission is showing the world who God is and how He has come to save it. And I want to close with Hebrews chapter 13. So if you, you have a Bible, you can turn there. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21 says, Now may the God of peace who brought again, again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us, that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So as we turn, and the band can come up, and as we turn to, to our time of communion, and we've seen that God is instituting a spiritual kingdom And we see that we need to be saved from our sins and we need to understand that we are saved to a mission. We need to come and understand that this is what Jesus was proclaiming. This, the, the, the cup symbolizes His blood that He spilt for us. Remember, the cross was always what was in His mind even as He entered Jerusalem that day. And so the he was always ready and knowing that He was going to spill His blood for us. And the bread represents His broken body which was hung on the cross to forgive us from our sins. And so as you come this morning, just reflect on your life and have you accepted Jesus as the Lord not just as the one who comes in the name of the Lord, but you understand that He has called you to His heavenly kingdom. That He can give you eternal life and that He can save you from your sins. So come as we sing.